Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone. Welcome to an episode of the Mind Valley podcast, where we're going to talk about spirituality and sports. A couple of years ago, an Indian mystic or guru, I don't know what the correct word would be, named Sri Chinmoy, demonstrated something remarkable in New York City. He proceeded at the age of 73 years old to lift a total of 200,000 pounds over several hours. And it was something that was being witnessed by weight trainers and bodybuilders and experts around the world. And it was baffling. Now, Sri Chinmoy didn't just stop there. He also went on to found a remarkable race where, get this, the runner had to run 3,100 miles nonstop around a block in New York City, almost a superhuman feat. And Sri Chinmoy wanted to do these, apparently, to prove the power of the human mind to transcend the body. So today on this Mind Valley podcast, we have a documentary filmmaker, Sanjay Rawal. Sanjay has been fascinated by the feats of Sri Chinmoy, and he went on to create several documentaries based on Chinmoy's apparently superhuman feats. Challenging Impossibility, released in 2011, dealt with the weightlifting um feats that Sri Chinmoy was able to do. It is a remarkable documentary and featured people like Desmond Tutu, Sting, Susan, Susan Sarandon, Nelson Mandela, and 3,100 Run and Become dealt with Sri Chinmoy's ability to actually run long distances and get people across the world to participate in these grueling races as well. So I wanted to invite Sanjay to discuss the topic of spirituality and sports and how we can apply inner states of being to become superhuman. Sanjay, welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. I'm so excited, Vishen. Thank you so much for having me. It's really bizarre what you have witnessed in your life, but, but let's start with a little bit of a history of you and why you're so fascinated by Sri Chinmoy and is he the real deal? Well, my, my, my parents immigrated to the United States when I was less than one years old. Um, they're from East India. And very quickly, you know, they integrated into the United States and took on the, the, the a very American lifestyle. So I, I was raised as an American. I went to a good American school. Um, but partway through my undergraduate, I realized that nothing I was learning was going to fill a very deep and widening hole in my heart. And curiously enough, I went back to Eastern traditions, you know, to things that my grandparents had taught me, things that I'd read as a youth and understood that the, the path I wanted to take wasn't necessarily one that would, would, would put me on a trajectory of success or wealth. I wanted to basically join a path, start a journey to self-discovery. And that led me to Sri Chinmoy, an Indian guru who moved from South India in the mid-60s and based his spiritual home in New York City. So at the age of 21, I ended up moving from California to New York City to, to pursue something that most people don't move to New York for, and that was to find inner peace. 
And so I, I spent 13 years, you know, studying directly with him until his passing and have felt the connection between myself and my teacher grow day by day, week by week since his passing in 2007. That's amazing. Now, Sri Chinmoy was known to be able to utilize inner states to do some pretty interesting things with his body. Tell us about that. Sri Chinmoy felt, in a nutshell, that the inner life and the outer life had to go together. When you look back at ancient India, our greatest or most heralded epic, the Bhagavad Gita, took place on a battlefield. It was a discussion between two warriors about the deepest, most esoteric spiritual philosophies. We don't see that same connection being practiced, the idea of inner strength and outer strength as a unifying force to help us make progress. Sri Chinmay, when he came to the U.S., he very much wanted to live a very dynamic lifestyle. And he encouraged physical fitness as an active part of a person's spiritual pursuits. He felt that the inner body, that, that physical strength, you know, could lead to peace of mind and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So um, he was fascinated by physical fitness, but, but that seems rather normal. I mean, nothing unusual there. But how was he able to, to perform these superhuman feats? Let's start with the feats of weight lifting. So apparently he lifted 200,408 pounds when he was 73 years old repeatedly. And how, over how many hours? Well, in, in, in the mid-80s, when he had turned, I believe, 55, he took up weightlifting. And he never lifted weights in his life. He was a, a long-distance runner in his 40s and 50s in New York. And it astonished his students and it astonished people that knew him. But very quickly, he began to, to transcend his own achievements. He started with a 40-pound dumbbell, and very quickly, he was lifting dumbbells that were hundreds of pounds. And this attracted some of the most famous bodybuilders of their days. Um, and... The curious thing or the incredible thing was that as he got older, he was able to lift more and more and more, culminating effectively on one night in 2004, which we explore in Challenging Impossibility, which listeners can find on Vimeo, where over a four-hour period across a number of different lifts, his total workout um, exceeded 200,000 pounds. And these included things like 2,500-pound calf lifts at the age of 73. That is insane. And and I am looking at uh, his website right now, srichinmoy.org forward slash service forward slash weightlifting and looking at the pictures. This is nuts. He wanted to show that that outer power could come from inner peace and that the outer power you got from inner peace would be far beyond the, the, the outer power that might come from aggression. And, and this is incredible. Um, I'm reading what people have said about him. Muhammad Ali said, I feel the reason Sri Chenmoy lifted this weight is because of his love of God and belief that through God, all things are possible. It's incredible to have Muhammad Ali say something like that about a man. Now, what do you think was going on? How was he? Because even looking at the pictures on his website, you see this, this tiny elderly man lifting incredible weights and, and it, it, doesn't seem to make sense. Um, he lifted a thousand lambs and 200 cows over a two week period during a visit to New Zealand in 2002, lifted over 8,000 people overhead as part of lifting up the world with oneness heart between 1988 and 2007. Where was the strength coming from in your belief? 
that that's the phenomenal thing because on the surface he was incredibly sweet, incredibly kind, incredibly compassionate. But at the same time, he wanted to show that mildness had and humility had a deep root of power. And his lifts came out of nowhere. You know, we'd set up the machines, it would take six to ten of us to set the weights up. And then in a second or two, he would lift it. And then it would take us 10 to 15 minutes to move the weight as a team and then set up the next weight. And I I don't know where the power came from. At the same time, you know, he wasn't doing this to show off. He was doing this to tell people that, you know, you might not be able to lift thousands of pounds, but you can take an extra step. You can, you know, achieve what you want to achieve. If a 73-year-old can lift these weights, you can do anything. Wow. But um, I noticed something curious about Sri Chinmoy, right? At least when I look at pictures of him, he doesn't seem to have the traditional physique of, of a bodybuilder, of someone who does weight training. He looks very ordinary. So what in your mind is where these, these, the spiritual power is coming from? Well, Sri Chinmoy spoke of, of a realm deeper than the mind, deeper than the heart. And that was the, the essential essence of human beings. And he called that the soul. Uh, different traditions called that, like the Buddhists call that the inner light. Um, he felt that that true source of identity held the potential effectively of the entire universe. And that by really understanding that deepest, truest part of the self, one could access planes of consciousness that weren't available to you know the common faculties, to the senses, to the mind, to the emotions. He found that you could only really achieve that, that level of self-discovery through meditation and through deep practices of silence. Was there a particular style of meditation that he advocated? Well, you know, when you study with a spiritual teacher, you end up learning the type of meditation that's best for you. Effectively, his path focused on the spiritual heart, on the center of, the, of, of peace, of joy, of positive emotion. You know, the chakra is, is in the center of the chest. He advocated the path of the heart, but really in studying with him, you know, he literally took each individual into depths of silence and taught those individuals the best form of meditation for themselves. And he really, he really made that practice big because meditation is common today, right? But in 1970, at the invitation of the then Secretary General of the United Nations, Secretary General Yutang, Sri Chenwai began conducting twice-weekly meditations at the UN. And he went on to say, I happen to be a seeker at the United Nations. My sole aim there is to serve the body and soul of the United Nations in silence with my prayer and meditation. Now, that was way back in 1970, when meditation was seen as something really unusual. It was counterculture. It was, you know, he was one of, the, the, one of those pioneers in the wave of Eastern mystics. Uh, from Suzuki on down that came to the West in the 60s. So if you, had to, if you had to trace his style of meditation, his lineage, what would it be today? He, he studied under Sri Aurobindo, a great mystic in South India. Right now, I see a, 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 finally I see a flowering, a flourishing of the practice of meditation. At the same time, meditation has always been a tool to discover God, to discover the supreme, to discover the soul. It's not simply a tool for relaxation or for concentration. It's, 
it's as though you had the most expensive car and just kept it in first gear, and, and the fastest car, I should say, and just kept it in first gear. I think that you know the 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 practice that he advocates, which I don't see as, as popular as the more secular forms of meditation, is the use of meditation to achieve the highest truth, to achieve enlightenment. Now, did you practice his style of meditation, Sanjay? I did. I I, I can say that I, I was fortunate to have studied with him for the last 13 years of his life on earth. Now, what was that process like? Like, give us give us a rundown. What was Sri Chinmoy doing in his meditation? His meditation, as, as well as meditations of, of many masters, cultivates devotion. It doesn't necessarily just cultivate a sense of relaxation, a sense of confidence. It begins to show the, the aspirant the path to self-discovery. And, and that effectively is surrendering the ego. And that's developing humility, developing the, 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 the language of obedience and surrender, and understanding that the force that you're trying to find within yourself is everywhere if we choose to listen rather than talk, so to speak. That's beautifully said, right? It reminds me a lot of the book, The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Is there a book by Sri Chinmoy where we can learn about these ideas? Sri Chinmoy wrote a number of books. I think that the kind of essential book is simply called Meditation. Um, it's on Amazon if one searches Sri Chinmoy and the word meditation. Um, there's a, a classic book that's a compilation of much of his philosophy around meditation. There's another book called The Wisdom of Sri Chinmoy, uh, which is a purple-covered book on Amazon, which really plums the esoteric elements of his philosophy and connects those esoteric elements with lineages that stretch back in the East 25,000 years. Wow. So that, okay, so that's definitely something that we want to recommend to our audience. So it's simply called Meditation by Sri Chinmoy. Fantastic. Now, the other curious thing about Sri Chinmoy was his dedication to running. Tell us about that. Uh, you know, in, in the ashram where Sri Chinmoy was raised, the Sri Aurobindo ashram, they actually encouraged physical fitness. And so Sri Chinmoy was, was a, a track athlete in his youth and, you know, won the 100 meters, I think, 16 years in a row at the ashram. When he came to the U.S., the running boom hadn't actually even started. But by virtue of, of his, you know, his, his base being in New York in the 70s, when the New York City Marathon really elevated itself to the race that it is now involving tens of thousands of people running through all five boroughs, Sri Chinmoy was at the heart of that. And if one can imagine, the, the day before the marathon in 1977 and 1978, the organizers had this blue dhoti-clad Indian mystic leading meditations for the thousands of runners that were about to run the race. He felt very much that running wasn't just a metaphor that we as seekers are running along a path towards you know, a particular destination, a positive destination. But he felt that running itself could unlock a lot of spiritual faculties within us. And the interesting thing is that when I started making the movie 3100 Run and Become, and we went to the Navajo Nation in Arizona, one of our main characters, a runner named Sean Martin, told me, the Navajo run for prayer. The Navajo believe that when you run, your feet are praying to Mother Earth. You are breathing in Father Sky. You are asking them, you are praying to them for their blessings to help you become a better person. 
and I ran as a track, I ran track in high school and college, and I definitely didn't run to become a better person. But when I saw Sri Chinmoy's running philosophy, and then subsequently these other running philosophies around the world, I realized that humanity had used running as a way to connect to the energies of the earth for tens of thousands of years. It's not something new. Um, on the contrary, it's something extremely ancient. And in your work, in your work, you studied the uh, 3,100-mile race by Sri Chinmoy. What was that about? Because I find that fascinating. Tell us about that. In the 80s, Sri Chinmoy sponsored six- and ten-day races. As people began to want to run longer distances than the marathon, they needed, you know, they needed races or outlets to kind of pursue those interests. But by the 90s, those runners had wanted to do greater and greater distances. And so in 1997, he founded the 3,100-mile race, which takes place around a solitary half-mile loop in Queens, New York City, around a high school. People have to average over 59 miles a day to finish the race within the 52-day period. And anywhere between five and 15 runners from around the world come to try to attempt this distance, usually about half finish. But it's an exceptional exceptional lens into literally the unlimited potential that we all have. What? 3,100 miles over how many days? The, the window was 52 days. People generally finish between 40 and 52 days. Wow. So you're running around 59 miles a day. Now, for the sake of people, for the sake of people who, who, who are new to this, how many miles is a marathon? A marathon's 26.2. Okay, so you're running two marathons every day for for pretty much 50 days. Some people run three. Wow. Um, and uh, when someone is, when these runners are doing this race, and, and again, they're running around a single block. That That's correct. You know, people do run 3,100 mile races effectively from point to point, like San Francisco to New York is a little less than 3,100 miles. But the logistical challenges of running over mountain ranges, running on highways, getting food, water, restroom breaks when you need them is an incredible obstacle. If it's all on a half mile loop, it's... it's these, these people who are running, like how, what does that look like? Is it nonstop? Are they making time for breaks, for sleep, for food? Yes, yeah, cert certainly. This, this race is, is like the spiritual life. It's, it's entirely about patience. You can't win the race the first day, but you can lose the race the first day. The, the course is open from 6 a.m. to midnight every day. Runners have to go home at midnight. They take anywhere between nine and 12,000 calories a day served by the race organizers on the course. Um, they take breaks probably every three or four hours. They take a half an hour break. And the idea is just try to try to spend as much time on your feet That said, I need to add that those distances in this race sounds like it would be a sufferfest. It's not. People wouldn't be able to do this race if it was if it was dependent on willpower alone. And my, the movie 3100 Run and Become explores these states of consciousness that people can enter after multiple days of running, where you enter into a realm effectively, so a very low taxing aerobic state of metabolism. But just like these states of fasting that we've all explored, unlock energy that's not strictly caloric. Um, these types of long runs 
unlock our ability to feel the depth of meditation even while running. People r- run these races because it is a moving meditation. This, this, this is insane. 3,100 miles, people running three, ma- the equivalent of two to three marathons a day for almost 50 days. And do, do people get injured? Like what happens in a scenario like that? Well, th- there are, are common hiccups like, like, you know, rashes, blisters, things like that. But th- these runners aren't neophytes. They've, they've done multiple um, six and 10 day races. At the same time, like that practice has helped them understand how to minimize problems. Very often a small issue might come into our own lives and we tend, our minds tend to magnify those issues into the realities of their own. And when you're in a race like the 3100, you have to pay attention to everything, but at the same time, you have to understand how to compartmentalize. And that's what these runners do. Um, and the, the proof is literally in, in the pudding, in the fact that about 80 to 100 people in the last 20 years have accomplished this distance. 80 to 100 people. So now let's go back to Sri Chinmoy. Now he started this in the late 90s, so he must have been close to 70 at that point. What was his running abilities like? He took up long distance running in the 70s. He ran a number of marathons and a number of ultra marathons. But by the time he got into his 50s, you know, old sprinting injuries and old running injuries had added up. At the same time, he was still an incredible adherent of the potential of long distance running. And although he didn't run this race himself, he was there every single day. Ultimately, he felt that one couldn't even attempt this distance without a spiritual practice. Um, and that's, that's really reflective in the race and, and in the attitudes that people bring to the race. So let's go to some of the themes that you discuss in your documentary. 3,100 running to come. Okay, now firstly, the first documentary we spoke about is Challenging Impossibility, and you said we can find that on Vimeo, right? That's correct. Awesome, I'm gonna be jumping on that pretty soon. Now, Run and Become, where can we find that? That's available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so let's go on to, to some of the themes that you explore in Run and Become. A lot of people listening to our podcast are are people who take part in Spartan race, um, a lot of marathoners, are big Mind Valley fans. What is it that you think we can learn from running cultures like the Navajo and the Kalahari, where running is almost a spiritual act? For tens of thousands of years, people all around the world used running as an important part of their spiritual practice. When we were with the Kalahari Bushmen, you know, they have been living pretty much unperturbed for effectively the last 125,000 years. Um, There's been some issues in the last 20 years, but that said, their cultures can give us a lens into how we all lived um, millennia uh, prior to now. They utilize running to literally sink their energies, not just to Mother Earth, but to the power of their ancestors. They go on exceptionally long runs to hunt down animals um, in a way that gives us insight into how we survived on the savanna. We couldn't you know, outrun a lion. We couldn't outrun a cheetah. We couldn't catch these gigantic elk uh, by outsprinting them. What we did is we carried water and we used our ingenuity to gradually chase these large animals further and further away from watering holes. 
and across the span of one, two, or three days, you know, in over the course of 100 or 200 miles, you know, we would exhaust those animals, be able to approach them, kill them, take the meat back to our village, or move the village to where the kill was. Wow. That, and at the same time, as evolutionary biologists look at that as an important step for human civilization, the Bushmen themselves say that their power to run didn't come from ingenuity. It didn't come from the, the, the physical form of humans being bipedal. It came from the act of running, connecting them to deeper energies in Mother Earth. It unlocked intuition. It unlocked uh, an electromagnetic connection to Mother Earth. It unlocked a way to breathe deeply and to enter into meditative state of minds while moving. How can those of us who are training for <laughs> what you're saying makes a Spartan race or a marathon certainly seem like child's play? What lessons do we have for those of us who are actually casual joggers or training for a marathon or Spartans? You know, curiously, and this is just a, a, a non sequitur, but the founder of, of Spartan, Joe DeSena, had seen the 3,100 mile race in one of its early editions in the late 90s. And when he was planning to launch Spartan um, in the early 2000s, when people were telling him it was impossible, he recalled the 3100. And he actually is, a, is one of our executive producers on this film. Oh, that's fantastic. Joe's a friend. Oh, awesome. And we've awesome. had yeah, Joe DeSena on this podcast. Fantastic. So I, I, think, I think Joe would agree that you know, if, if you approached any, any type of physical practice, even the ones that are outwardly the most spiritual, like if you were doing yoga, but you were thinking about dinner, your yoga session wouldn't be fruitful. When we run, very rarely are we focusing on each step. You know, and I, I'm a culprit. Like I have to stop myself when I'm running, just focusing on my watch, thinking about what I'm going to do afterwards. In essence, most of the time when we run, we either try to tune out or we are just trying to get through it. And if we approach meditation that way, every meditation would be totally useless. So I think the trick is, from what I've seen and what I've found in my own running, you know, bringing the concept of concentration, bringing the concept of mindfulness, bringing the focus of our running onto our breath, onto our feet. What I try to remember when I run is the Navajo saying that when you run, your feet are praying to Mother Earth. You're breathing in Father Sky. You're asking them, you're praying to them for their blessings to become a better person. And I think that's the goal. If we want to use running to become a better person, that is what running will do. But we have to have that intention. And most of us don't even realize we can have that type of intention with running. Mm -hmm. That is beautifully said. So in closing, Sanjay, what would be your advice for those of us who want to combine spirituality with sports? I think the combination can be literal. When one starts their, their, their physical training practice, whether it's in the gym whether it's on the streets, whether it's in the forest running, I, I, would, I would suggest taking a minute or two to do a standing meditation, to stand, to breathe, to focus on your heart, to focus on your mind, to go through kind of a mental checklist to silence yourself and to begin these activities from that place of silence and see where they take you. We don't prescribe a goal at the end of each of our morning meditations. At the same time, we can use that type of spiritual flow to 
infuse our physical fitness with a deeper intention. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sanjay. I really appreciate this conversation. And for those of you listening, if you're fascinated by Sri Chinmoy, here are the resources. Check out the book, Meditation by Sri Chinmoy. Check out the documentary, 3100, Run and Become. You can find it on iTunes. And check out the documentary, Challenging Impossibility. You will find that on Vimeo. And again, thank you to Sanjay Raval for this intriguing conversation. This was so much fun, Vishen. Really, thank you very much for the opportunity. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us, Sanjay. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.